Christmas and this special time we get to celebrate the birth of Christ, many of you are thinking right now about the various presents that you receive. So what I want you to do now, we're going to all stand, we're going to share with one another this simple question. What was the best gift you ever received for Christmas? So far, until obviously this Christmas, because the best one's coming right up. So everybody stand up. Great one. Now, what was the best one you've received so far? Because we got those presents out of the way. You know, the best present that you ever got. If you walk into my uh, office, you'll look up on the right-hand side, and there's this best present I ever got. And it's a, it's a picture of my kids and my grandkids. And, uh, it's a gorgeous shot that they, they took secretly, and so it goes out there. We actually have two shots. One's at home and one's at the house. And it's it's the best Christmas gift I ever got. Uh, my wife isn't here, so don't tell her that because it came from them, not from her. But that's... <laughs> you, you get the idea that the best Christmas present, in almost all your cases, it had something to do with the relationship. How many of you have your best Christmas present had something to do with the relationship? Yeah. That's almost always true. You see... There's something about a presence that's attached with a person. See, when it's not attached with a person, it's just, it's just a gift. And it's great. You know, I've gotten a lot of really good gifts. But when it's attached with a person, it becomes something, something special. It becomes personal. There's a presence involved. And there's some power that, that tends to, to take place in the midst of that. Um, when we talk about... The best gifts, I say that. First of all, I found that the best gifts are always planned ahead of time. And they're always planned way ahead of time. My wife is really good at that. She plans things ahead of time. I'm kind of a Christmas Eve guy. I what? I let the spirit move me. And boy, am I ever moved on Christmas Eve. And, and there's too much truth to that statement. Uh, I'm sorry to say, I, I do pretty good for a while and then I forget. Now, my other problem is now I forget where I put the gifts that I bought before. So that's the reason. Christmas Eve, I don't forget. So that's the other reason to do Christmas Eve. I don't forget what happened to the gift. And I mean, it's literally true. I found a month later, I found the gift I was supposed to. I knew there was something else I was giving my wife. I found it a month later in the closet. I went, oh, there it is. So I gave it to her as a kind of a special anniversary gift. <laughs> So it, it worked. It worked anyway. But you talk about gifts. and Christmas is all about these wonderful, amazing gifts that are provided for us. Uh, but sometimes it's like the Dickens description where he says it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. If you gave the right gift, it's the best of times. If you gave the wrong gift, well, you got the right idea. It's like, man, I just feel so... I didn't get to be the person that gave... A really good gift. I didn't take the time and the effort. I didn't prepare. I just kind of sloughed it off and I waited till Christmas Eve and got some cologne. And even though they go, oh, that was so nice of you, what they're really thinking is, you're a jerk. <laughs> you needed to think ahead of time. And so hopefully you get better at that. Uh, I was a police chaplain in Minnesota. And while I was there, whenever Christmas would come, just before it, the week before, we would have a rash of suicides. And uh, every time my pager would go off, I'd go, oh, no, here we go, another one. And so, Because my job was to go to the parents or the relatives of the one who the death had happened to. So it was a delightful job. 
a very, very difficult uh, job there. And I would go down. Had, we had some great, great police officers uh, who would be involved with me, but they willingly gave me the, the kind of front seat in that case and said, you know, Lee, if you'd share with them and try to ease the pain a little bit. So we go through that process. And Christmas becomes oftentimes a time of crisis. And people have often asked me, they've said, well, why is Christmas a crisis time for, for many people? What takes place there? And the only thing I can conclude, and I even wrote this down, the celebration of Christ gets replaced with the celebration of self. The celebration of Christ gets replaced with the celebration of self. And that's when everything falls apart. That's when Satan and darkness takes over without us even being aware that greed has happened instead of grace. And instead of a gift, it's a something that I'm going to get pleasure out of and that somebody else is going to tell me what a wonderful person I am for giving it to them. And we misunderstood the intention of Christmas and why God uh, put it all together. Uh, recently, we had the horrific uh, murders of some 26 Newport people in Connecticut. And it's just a horrible, horrible thing. And after it took place, many were questioning and saying, why would God allow that to happen? And I've had people ask me that, Pastor, why would God allow that to happen? And I said, you know what the horrible thing about life in a broken world is? We all have free will. And we want it when we want it. And we don't want it in the times when we most desperately need it. And God is saying to us, my will was not done in that case. Instead, it was the will of horror. It was the will of defectiveness. It it was the will of brokenness. And it reigned for a short period of time. And we need to be praying for the for the moms and the dads and the sisters and the brothers and, and all those who are involved in this horrible thing and allow God to enter into now to comfort them as he is able to, to direct them, to guide them and to bring some wondrous good out of this horrible, horrible thing. And I would encourage you uh, to do that. In fact, we're going to do that right now. Would you just pray with me? Okay. Father, we come to you... Um, Last week was such a difficult time for many of us as we heard of the deaths of children and those innocents. Well, even Jesus, when he was here, Lord, talked about the innocence of children and how you look upon those who harm them in a very different way than you look upon those who who interact with adults. And I know that your heart was broken as you as you saw this and anticipated it. You knew what was going to happen. What a horrible thing that must be for you to have to handle. And I know that you did your best to get in the midst of it to try to encourage and direct and and make people respond in different ways, but for whatever reason, uh, they didn't. And the instead result was this horror. And so now it's past us, Lord, and we realize what has happened, but we ask that you would help us to know what to do in our own hearts and in our prayers for those who are in Connecticut struggling with this. Lord, I would ask that you might grant them a special awareness of your presence. 
I'd ask right now that you might let them know that you love them deeply. Take away bitterness. Replace it with forgiveness. Provide a new sense of hope. Continue with them, Father. They need your help. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Christmas is about God entering into the horror of life and then the inadequacy of mankind and the struggle of what we're about and what we're doing. It was about God responding to a need. He saw the desperate need of his people and he said they need help and he sent his son at the right time, exactly at the right moment. And he prepared everything up to that point in time so that Christmas, the Christ Mass, might take place. Because Christmas is all about the celebration of God breaking into this human life, talking and walking and being with us, this incarnation of God. If you ever sit down and think about it, it will truly uh, cause your mind to be kind of, whoa, what happened here? The incarnation of God, where God takes himself and introduces his son into the fetus placed into a woman's womb and begins the process of birth. Incredible that God was able and willing to do that and to allow his son to go through right after he's born. You have to remember the same that happened in Connecticut happened in Bethlehem. All the infants, two years old and below, were killed, put to death by Herod as a, as a scheme, as a desire to destroy the king. They had heard about it. He didn't want anybody stepping into his palace shoes. What a horrible thing. And Mary and Joseph had to live with that and wonder about that. For they were the only ones told by God you have to go now. You have to go now. And off they went to Egypt. Provided with the funds that they needed from the wise men. And provided with direction from God by the angel. You see, Christmas is all about God providing this wonderful gift that he continued not only to prepare, but to protect after it was given. In John 1, it shares like this. And I think it's going to be on our screen here. He says... Before time itself, I want you to read it with me. Before time itself was measured, the voice was speaking. The voice was and is God. This celestial voice remained ever present with the Creator. His speech shaped the entire cosmos. Jesus, the voice, the Word, becoming flesh and dwelling among us. This wonder of God that we refer to as the Christ Mass, the Christmas, the time in which God himself chose to come among his people and to speak to us. He poured himself into this body and then he began to prepare himself for his calling. How could he do this? How did it come about? When did he know? What did he? It's, it's incredibly beyond our imagination, our comprehension, the incarnation. 
tremendous preparation took place prior to his coming. You know, talk about someone getting, getting the gift ready. He sets uh, prophets thousands of years before and begins to set into place each step that would have to take place before there'd be the celebration of the presence of Christ. Now, presence is E-N-C-E, not E-N-T-S, by the way. The presence of Christ. God gave it the right time. Galatians 4 says, when the right time came. Boy, if I was, I circled that in my Bible. When the right time came, God sent his son. He sent his son, born of a woman and subject to the law. He sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God doesn't pass this on to somebody else. He doesn't delegate it to the angels. He himself presents himself. And the prophetic role was for everyone to get ready for this marvelous party, that everyone might be prepared for it. It's kind of like Christmas cards. That's really what that's about. Some of you have sent me some great Christmas cards already. And Christmas cards about reminding us of the wonder of what took place. They're invitations to people to come to the party. To come to the celebration. To be a part of this wondrous, wonderful thing that we refer to as as Christmas. God didn't want anyone missing out on who his son was. So he laid out these incredible signs for the prophets. He talked about who, what, when, where, and how. There are seven different prophetic reminders. Actually, a total of about 48 in the Bible. But these are seven key ones. Actually, eight if you, if you do Psalm 89 as being two. So you've got eight different specific directives in relationship uh, to God. And this is the first one. It says... That he would come through a woman. Didn't say a man in a, in a totally male-dominated culture. That was odd. God would come through a woman. It was like, what? That can't be the Messiah then. Because women are inferior to men. We all know that. We all know that? Thank you. If you believe that, we need to discuss something afterwards. And my wife will join me. That's for sure. Secondly, it would be of the nation of Israel that, by the way, didn't exist at the time that he shares it. Didn't exist. Hadn't started yet. Thirdly, it would be of the tribe of Judah, which now it existed by Genesis 49. Yep, the tribe of Judah now existed. So that was good. And then in 2 Samuel, and again in Psalm 89, it would be of David's family lineage. Be of David's family lineage. Well, Mary would have to be of David's family lineage. And Micah 5, 2 says, it would take place in the town of Bethlehem. And I, I said to myself, did that exist? So I began to look back and say, did it exist? Yes, it existed as a little teeny village. But not one that you would expect to continue to be in existence some 500 years later. In fact, you'd probably think, well, it'll probably be gone by that time. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to get a miraculous touch involved here. A virgin would bear the son and he would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And then lastly, and by the way, I'm going to ask, Roderick, would you come up right now? The last thing that's going to uh, take place here, the final touch is it would send forth a special, special messenger. And we would recognize him now because the scripture brings us through it because we're such babies and don't know what's going on, that John 
the Baptist would be the special messenger who would announce the birth, the birth uh, of Christ. Now, I want you to get this. The chance of one person fulfilling all eight prophecies is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, those of you that are mathematicians get that. The rest of us normal people don't have a clue. So I'll help you out a little bit. If you were to take silver dollars and lay them on the face of, of Texas, lay them across the entire face of Texas, make them two feet deep, two feet deep silver dollars, okay? stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state, blindfold a man, tell him he can travel as far as he wishes, but he has to pick up the one silver doll that you've marked and say this is the right one. What do you think are the chances of him getting it? 10 to the 17th power. There you go. You kind of go, are you kidding me? Well, that's the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time when Christ was born. That's an amazing, an amazing thing. See, the prophets prepared us because they trusted God that he would bring everything to pass, as the book in Galatians says, at the right time. So they did their job, and God did his. And many were ready for the first Christmas. The question is, are you ready for this Christmas? Right gift, right time. I want you to think of God's timing in your life. What do you need to learn to trust God uh, for your future? Uh, what's the preparation needed? What's necessary along that end? Well, why don't you, I want you to think about that. I'm mixing this up a little bit, Justin. Okay? And we're going to listen to a special song uh, that's going to be shared with us by Roderick. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that a little later and how that came about. But uh, listen to Violet. He plays a simple song that we call Silent Night seat back for me. Wasn't that nice? There's a story behind that, and we'll talk about it a little bit later. Uh, but when we discuss this issue of preparation and a recognition of what God is trying to prepare us for for Christmas, we have all these variety of songs that we come up with. And I'm going to ask the band to come up now, and they're going to get us ready to lead us in a couple songs for us to sing along with. But when we talk about, notice the songs are about angels we have heard on high and talks about, uh, can you hear what I hear and uh, go tell it on the mountain. All these variety of songs that remind us of what took place and how we can respond to it. But Christmas is all about the presence of God. And it's not about the physical presence in the sense of gifts we get, but it's the presence of who he is and what he wants to say to us and speak to us. That's why we love the candlelight services and all that, because when we come together, we experience the presence of God, and we experience the truth of his son and what goes on there. But not only is there a presence, there's also a personal gift that God gives at this time. See, he knows each one of us, so the angel said it like this. There are shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. Today has been born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Good news. Great joy. See, 
the angels were that worship team, the first one ever. And they were gathering the shepherds together, sending them down to this special place in which God himself had become present. And they all came down to meet with them. Mary and Joseph and the shepherds. All three of them. Mary had found out from the angels that there was a great gift provided for her. Pregnancy from God. And if she would trust God, he would get her through it. And Joseph, an even greater gift. He got to have his wife pregnant by God, nobody else. And he was to trust and believe that that really was what took place. And that God would walk through him through the difficult time as he worked through the issue of what it was. And then the shepherds, scared, spitless, frightened, as you would be as well, by this huge host of angels speaking to them and saying, Today, in Bethlehem, a Savior has been born. A great, perfect gift. Very, very personal. As God gives to each one of us a very, very personal gift. And he wants to give you a gift through these songs. As you sing them, let him speak to you. Each one of us differently will hear different things in them. He'll speak to you. It won't be like the gifts that some of us give, like you give a Packers fan a Bears jersey. <laughs> That's what I would do. But what can I say? There's a reason behind that as well. It can be very personal. But it can be awkward when we give the wrong gift. God wants us to give the right gift right time for the right reason greatest Christmas gift I thought you know what the greatest Christmas gift ever given it was the star a custom made star for three wise men brought them all the way down probably a couple of years later maybe a year or so where Mary found herself back in Bethlehem remembering who this child was that was born hey let's sing this song about angels and remind us of our calling. Anyway, fortunately my wife wasn't here for that country time. She's uh... Now, I should tell you this story. Why my wife doesn't like country music, so you'll understand. Her mom wanted to be a country singer. And she's not quite tone deaf, but close. And she would play the guitar, and it was just, don't tell mom, awful. So Mary learned not to enjoy country music. So I put up with that as just part of life with my wife. So that's a present that I gave her. No country music. So anyway. Gives you a little bit of insight they didn't have before. So when we talk about Christmas, there are three things you want to always have in Christmas. First of all, you want your gifts to be personal. Okay? Personal. You want them to be with a presence. Okay? With your presence. When you are there with it, it's you being shared. Now, I'm not great at this. Okay? I'm preaching the message. Okay? So I'm giving it my best shot. I'm learning. My wife is fantastic at it. She is phenomenal at this stuff. She just gets into it. It's like she begins to exhibit Christmas. It's scary. Last night was scary. You should have been at our house. Like my boys are going, whoa, she is really going for it. She made like 
20 presents for all these people. She was like, yeah, and she got the old music going. I'm like, whoa. It's like the Holy Spirit fell upon her or something. It was amazing. But she has this ability that when she gives gifts there, they're for you, but they're very personal. She makes them, she bakes them, she puts it together. It's just remarkable. I'm more of a sweater kind of guy, you know? You get the idea. So uh, if you really want to have great gifts and you want to follow the, the directive that God gave, the first thing is it, it's personal in terms of presence involved. And then secondly, it's personal in terms of the gift given. It's personal. In ter- you know what the person needs. There, there was a story behind the um, violin here when he, when he shared that particular aspect. You see, I, I found out that a particular church staff had discovered that uh, this young man had, to, had, had a gift of playing a violin and wanted to, to really build it, but he didn't have a violin. Through a process of moving and all these things, he didn't have it anymore. So they said, you know, we need to get that for this young man. So they did. So he did a really good job, and so then he got to play here. And he's going to play Christmas Eve service for us as well. So we're looking forward to that. But see, it, the gift there was personal. And what happens then is it makes it powerful. That's what makes a gift powerful. It's not how big it is. It's how personal it is. It's how involved it is with one's presence. That changes everything about a simple gift. Changes everything. And when God came down, he was personal. And his gift was very, very intent-oriented. He knew exactly what we needed. And even today, every Christmas, you see it over and over and over again. God gets involved miraculously in this process. And he shows up when people follow the right gift-giving sequence. It becomes not just a time in which we get gifts, but it becomes a time in which we experience the very presence of God. And that takes work and effort. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right or the gift to become a child of God, to be reborn. And what he calls us to now is he says, You know, guys, you need to be involved in inviting others to the Christmas party. You need to be involved in inviting other people to the Christmas party. It's interesting, the original Santa Claus, St. Nicholas, about 330 A.D., he's a bishop who didn't have a family, and he was very wealthy, and he decided that he didn't want anything to do with his wealth anymore. He wanted to give it to other people. And so he began to find needy people, and he would give them gift after gift after gift to various families and groups, and he would find, look, look for them, and gave away everything that he owned over the period of his life until he died with nothing and realized he had gained everything. And so we talk about him today as Santa Claus and don't realize that who we're really speaking about is a wonderful saint of God who started this process of giving gifts not just one to another, but to people who could not give anything back to us. That that, that is a Christmas gift. No quid pro quo involved. And my encouragement to you this Christmas 
is to be involved in this special way as God was to us. And give a gift that's costly for you that you can't get anything back from. Find somebody who has a need that you can meet. Maybe even without them knowing you're going to meet it. Drop the gift at the front of their door. Put it in a card unsigned, whatever it may be. And discover the wonder of Christmas when you give it. Because that's what happens. And suddenly the Spirit of God will fill you and you'll experience this sense of, wow, that is so cool. And other people want to go, oh, no, no, I want to give you something back. I want to turn to them and say, don't ruin my time. Don't wreck my time. This isn't about you. (laughs) It's about me for once, once a year, being able to give something to somebody who will just receive it and not give me anything back. And it becomes a gift through me, from God to them. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. We proclaim the presence of Christ. I love the Corinthian text when he says, now where the Lord is is the Spirit. And wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom. And all of us have had that veil of the law removed, which is the veil of greed and and ugliness and pettiness and selfishness, so that we can be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. So he's saying that you are filled with the glory of God and that as you, especially in Christmas, let that gift come out, you get to experience God's presence through your present. A gift with no intention of return, of your time, and people experience Christmas because Christmas means Emmanuel, God with us. Say that with me. God with us. That's Christmas. You let the light out. It's a declaration of the presence of a mighty and a powerful God. Don't short circuit it. Don't get distracted by all this stuff. Don't get caught up in all the other things. Even the innkeeper missed out on the Christmas celebration as he stayed inside because he wanted to be warm. Perhaps. He just stayed inside. Let it out. Do something uncomfortable. Step out and let God display His glory through you. Shine. Do something good. Sit down together and say, who can we give this to? What family can we support? How can we get involved in this wondrous Christmas thing that changes us while it changes them? And then share the wonder of how Jesus has been involved in your life and changed you. Christmas is a time to display His glory. Invite people to the Christmas Eve service. Get involved in their lives. Share with somebody who needs to be shared with. That's Christmas. Okay? Simply put. ABCs. We've got to remind ourselves of it all the time. The way in which you develop a relationship with Christ is, first of all, you admit that you need Him, that you have sin in your life and you need forgiveness. 
then you believe that He can provide you with forgiveness of that sin. He can take away your guilt. He can provide you with an opportunity to actually interact with God. And all we have to do is confess Him as Lord and Savior. Ask Him to come into your life, cleanse you from sin, and say, Lord, I give my life now to you. And you experience Christmas, the reason for Christmas, the purpose of Christmas, what Christmas truly is. So, today, I want you to make some commitments. You got to see something on your outline in there? You need to make some commitments. We've got to push ourselves to this sometimes for Christmas. Make a commitment to make this Christmas different. Maybe you're going to say, I'm going to put Christ first. How? I don't know how. That's your thing. You've got to decide that. That's the point. It's got to be personal. Secondly, you may choose to limit your gifts. Say, you know, you can turn to your husband or to your wife and say, seriously, I want to have half what we're going to give, and I want to give the other half to somebody else, to somebody who has a special need. And I know who that person is. And he's going to go, no, 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 no. And he needs to listen to you. So husbands, listen to her. Don't take away her joy by trying to give her more stuff. It isn't stuff that gives us joy. It's a recognition that people love us that gives us joy. Stuff is that declaration. That picture I have is that declaration. The clothes I have that my wife bought me because she said, you'll look really good in that. I think I look terrible. But if she says I look good in it, I wear it. Because you know something? It does something for me. And then when other people affirm it, I realize I have lousy taste in clothes. (laughs) Find somebody to give a gift to this Christmas. Somebody who is in need. You don't know anybody? Call the office. We have some people who are in real need. We've got a young family who just moved here. and They, they need a lot of basic things like, you know, bedding and uh, silverware. And they just moved into an apartment. Simple stuff. He's like, if you can help out with that, you go, wow, we want to do that. Great. Get your kids involved. Make this Christmas a Christmas uh, that honors all right. Last little thing. Bands had to stand here the whole time. It's okay. They still got to stand here a little longer too. Tizan family is going to come up. We have uh, the opportunity to light these candles, reminding us of what Christmas is all about and how it all came about. These are tough to do. Can you like that? You can push that thing down to that. And they're going to light the last candle. Now, are you guys going to share with us something special? Yeah. Good. Why don't you come right up to this mic here? Okay. And you guys share with us something special. Okay. Oh. Um, <laughs> well, this is um, our first Christmas back together as a whole family. And uh, thank you. So. We're just excited to start new traditions and looking. Well, we have traditions. And we have some traditions. (laughs) We have some traditions, yes. But we're excited to to start new traditions. But Jaime wants to share one tradition that he's had for years. Oh, yeah. Since uh, we were little kids in uh, South America, we always eat this uh, Italian bread. It was called panettone. It's eaten in South America during Christmas. So I brought that over here. So we've been having that for the last 25 years. Yeah. Right before Christmas, we had chocolate. Yeah. 
Okay, thank you so much. Uh, guys, light the fourth candle. This is called the candle of love. And as they light that, right after they light it, we're going to take an offering. So I'm going to ask the people to come down. So if you need to give something to the Lord, you have a Christmas gift you want to give, set aside for the church. So those are going to take the offering. You need to come down. And we're going to watch a little clip. The band's getting ready to sing, but no, no, no. They get to watch a clip first. It's called, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. And the reason for this, well... <laughs>